Well, good morning. I'm Steve Wilson, and I want to welcome you to the King's Arms online meeting. It's great to have you with us, and it's an opportunity to shake off the morning lethargy and to wake up as we take some time to celebrate King Jesus. Now, before we have Tim lead us in worship, can I just celebrate the generosity of our church community with you? Because at the time of filming this as part of our Tsunami of Love Easter campaign, we have been able to give more than 45 laptops tops, whether brand new, most of which were brand new, or some which have been donated to us that we've refurbished, to local families, 45 laptops to local families who without us wouldn't have a computer at home. Now that's access to study, access to information, access to connection. And I'm so proud of the fact that we've been able to do that. Now, in addition, we've also given out over 350 Easter eggs to children in families who find themselves in poverty through the schools and the charities that we've been working alongside, as well as a book all about the real meaning of Easter. And I'm so thankful for every one of you who has played a part. Now, the scripture says in Galatians 6, let's not grow weary in doing good. And I would encourage you to continue to be thinking about ways that you can reach out and bless the people around you, because it's a way of reflecting how good and how kind Jesus has been to us. And it's one of those beautiful truths that, of course, the Bible talks to us about, where Jesus himself said it's better for us to give than to receive. And so as we come together to worship and celebrate today, I do hope that it puts a smile on your face that we can and we continue to support those most in need in our community. And so now we get to give back to God in worship. And so I want to encourage you, let's uh, stir ourselves to sing these songs of worship and adoration to him. Take me home. 
joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow and in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Sings my soul, my Savior, God to me. And how great thou art. How great thou art. And then sings my soul, my Savior, God to me. And how great thou art.
Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ, the risen one. Did you feel the people tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? When the lost began to sing of Jesus Christ, the saving one. We can see that God, you're moving a mighty river through the nations. The young and old will turn to Jesus. Fling wide, you heavenly gates. Prepare the way of the risen Lord. Open up the doors and let the music play. Let the streets resound with singing. tremble did you hear the oceans roar where the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ the risen one did you feel the people tremble did you hear the singers roar when the lost began to sing of Jesus Christ the saving one? We can see that God is moving a mighty river through the nations. The young and old will turn to Jesus. Yeah.
clothe me with gladness and I will arise and I will praise you. I'll sing and not be silent for he's turned my morning into dancing. Put off my rags and clothe me with gladness and I will arise and I will praise you. I'll sing
It's always been you. declare your faithfulness and all my heart and every breath I'll declare your faithfulness and all my heart with every breath every breath and I'll declare your faithfulness with all my heart with every breath I'll declare your faithfulness. For you are the God. For you. Father, I do want to thank you for your kindness to us. I want to thank you that your, your presence fills every room, every space, every kitchen, every dining area, every lounge right now, wherever we are. 
sitting and watching on our phones, our iPads, our laptops. I want to thank you, God, that we can know the truth of your worthiness of praise and adoration. And so we give you all the thanks. We give you all the glory. We thank you that you've drawn us into relationship with you. And we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, again, let me say, if you've just joined us, welcome to the King's Arms. My name is Steve Wilson, and I'm so pleased to have you with us here today, especially if you're new. And so if you're just checking us out, checking out the King's Arms, maybe even for the first time, or you've been coming along and watching, tuning in for the last few weeks, maybe you're wondering, what is the King's Arms all about? And so this next announcement is for you. So let's have a listen as Josh shares with us about the upcoming Joining the King's Arms course. Hi, I'm Daisy and I came to know about King's Arms through my sister who's been a part of the church for many years. After attending a few times and going to the monthly encounter nights, which were amazing, I started to feel at home at King's Arms and I wanted to find out a little bit more about it, which is why I signed up for the joining evening. The joining evening, which was split up over two weeks, was brilliant and very informative. It was great to meet so many of the leaders who talked about the vision and the background of the church and just to hear about all the different ongoing projects and ministries within the community. There were also breakout sessions which allowed for us to meet some of the other newcomers and just to ask any questions we might have had. For me, a highlight was coming away just feeling more connected and invested in King's Arms, especially during a time when the in-person meetings weren't able to go ahead. It was also a great way to meet lots of lovely people and I made some wonderful friendships from it too. If you are new to the church or you've been coming for a little while and you just want to find out more about the vision and the heart of King's Arms, then I highly recommend that you sign up. You will love it. So I came across the King's Arms because uh, I'd recently moved from London to Bedford and we were visiting a few churches. Uh, we visited King's Arms and we really enjoyed the worship and the word. Uh, but because it was such a large church and we were used to a smaller church, we really wanted to get to know a bit more about the church and connect with people um, on a bit of a personal level. So we went online and found out that they were having a joiners evening, uh, a joining evening. So we signed up, my wife and I, and we went along slightly anxious, um, but it turned out to be really casual, uh, low pressure. Um, we got to meet the leadership team who were really personable and accessible. Uh, made us feel really at home and got to know a bit more about the history of the church. Um, I'd probably say actually the highlight of the evening was seeing other people who were like us, who were looking for a new home, um, but because it was such a large church, it was quite daunting. So coming to an evening like this just made us feel like we could really connect and get to know people and get to know the church. So I'd recommend going to a joining evening and I'd recommend when you do go uh, to ask the tough questions, get to know the leadership team, make new friends, new connections, those in a similar situation to you. Um, and just, yeah, really get connected. Uh, we did, we loved it, and we've now been a part of this church for the last four years.
One of my favourite things about this crazy season is that we've added people to our church family, even into serving and leadership roles who have never been to the King's Arms physically in person. Isn't that fun? Now, if you are new, do sign up to those joining evenings. Uh, it's kingsarms.org slash joining where you can find out all the information and register for your place. And my final thing to share is to uh, thank you for your financial commitment and your generosity to us, the church. If you are someone who supports the church financially, you can continue to do so at kingsarms.org slash give. And so this morning, I have the privilege to introduce Kirsty, the CEO of the King's Arms Project, and a lady with a passion to teach and a love for the scriptures. And so let's listen in as she shares from the stunning Bible passage that we're going to be exploring today as we journey toward Easter. Hello and welcome to the King's Arms Online. It is my pleasure to be able to speak to you today. Well, actually, usually I say it's my pleasure, but I have to be honest, it has been a mind-blowing heart-wrenching and faith-stretching experience to do the message for today. We're looking at a section in Mark's Gospel describing the crucifixion of Jesus and I tell you this has been no easy task. This moment in time we're going to look at is a pivot point for all of human history. It's the most important event to ever have happened. Whether or not you have a personal relationship with Jesus, the impact of the crucifixion has been felt throughout humanity ever since and shaped our society's thinking today throughout the whole world. As I started looking at this passage, it felt to me a bit like when I go for a swim in my favourite place in the Lake District. Crumlock Water is two and a half miles long and while shallow around the edges, it, it shelves off to be around 44 metres deep in the middle. As you swim out, you really get a sense of the expanse opening up before you and you feel smaller and smaller as you swim out into the vast volume of water. As we plunge into this passage, it's a bit like taking a dip in a deep, deep lake that's breathtaking, it's awe-inspiring, yet at the same time, it's slightly intimidating. It's navigable, but so vast it can feel unreachable. So we're gonna read this section together, and then I'll try and take us through what I think God is bringing to life for us today. So Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him, the, the notice written on the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone run, 
fill a sponge with vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him from Jerusalem were also there. Wow, this is what I love about God's word. This passage alone is so rich with truth, with points for us to delve into, to debate, explore, things we can learn about God, his plan stretching back from the beginning of time right through to eternity. All the things that happened around the crucifixion of Jesus are captured right here. The different responses of people, what happened in the heavens, in the heart of Jesus, in the Trinity. It's an enormous study, rich in meaning. We could look at the nature and significance of the crucifixion itself, the humiliation of the cross, the curse it was in the Jewish culture to die this way. We could look over prophecies relating to the darkness that covered the earth, what this meant and why. We could explore the different responses to people witnessing the same events, the mockers, those who loved Jesus, those who hung on the cross with him. We could dig into the significance of the women being the only bystanders at the crucifixion, burial and resurrection for the validation of these momentous occasions. All of this would be just for starters. With plenty of room for a main course and afters, I figured that we need to stop piling our plates at some point and actually start eating. So we're going to zoom in on just one verse to see what we can get from that. And then we'll step back again to look at the wider application of this passage detailing the crucifixion. While I was reading this passage and asking God what to do with it, the verse that most caught my attention was when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This phrase made me stop in my tracks and ask myself, what is going on here? What is it that Jesus is experiencing? It seems as if this is the moment. This is that point in history that we've been driving towards, the mission of the Trinity. My sin, your sin, the fate of all of humankind cascading into this instant. This phrase made me stop in my tracks and ask myself, what actually is going on here? What is Jesus experiencing? It seems as if this is the moment. This is that point in history that we've been driving towards, the, the mission of the Trinity, my sin, your sin, the fate of all of humankind cascading into this instant. So to help us work out what's happening, let's establish what isn't happening first. When Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? He cannot mean that the eternal communion between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit was broken. God could not cease to be triune. There is nothing in scripture to suggest this could ever be the case. In fact, quite the opposite, given the everlasting nature of God and that God from the beginning and into eternity is three in one. I also don't think it means that the Father stopped loving the Son. In this moment, Jesus as a Son is offering the greatest act of love a Father could receive. That bond, the, the love of Jesus for the Father, the Father's love for the Son is fundamental to this mission. 
Therefore, it could not have been broken here. Nor could it mean, I think, that the Holy Spirit has ceased to minister to the Son. He had come down upon him at the time of his baptism, not merely for a fleeting moment, but to remain on him, as we read in John 1.32. And he would be there to the last as the eternal spirit through whom the Son has offered himself to God, according to Hebrews 9.14. There is no mention of the Holy Spirit leaving and returning. And lastly, I don't think that these words are a cry of despair. Despair would have been sin. Even in the darkness, God was my God. And though there was no sign of him, and though the pain obscured his promises, somewhere I believe in, in the depths of his soul, there remained the assurance that God was holding him. Listen to what is written about Abraham in Romans 4 when recounting his response, promising that he would be the father to many, despite him and his wife Sarah being childless at the time. Romans reads, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. If this is true of Abraham, as is recorded in the book of Romans, it will certainly be true of Jesus. I don't believe that he lost his faith or his focus in that moment. Yet, despite all these stakes in the ground, so to speak, this was a real forsaking. Jesus did not merely feel forsaken, he was forsaken. And not only by his disciples, but by God himself. It was the Father who had delivered him unto Jesus, to Judas, pardon me, to the Jews, to Pilate, and finally to the cross itself. And now, when he had cried out, God had closed his ears. The crowd had not stopped jeering. The demons had not stopped taunting. The pain had not abated. Instead, every circumstance bespoke the anger of God. There was no countering voice. This time, no word came from heaven to remind him that he was God's son greatly loved. No dove came down to assure him of the Spirit's presence and ministry. No angel came to strengthen him. No redeemed sinner bowed to thank him. In this moment, it is not that he bears some vague relation to sinners. It is that he is one of us. In fact, he is all of us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was condemned to bear its curse and he has no cover. No one can serve as his advocate. Nothing can be offered to make amends. He must bear all and God will not and cannot spare him until the ransom is paid in full. The sufferings of his soul, as the old theologians used to say, were the soul of his suffering. Public, though the cry was, it expressed an intensely private anguish of a tension between the sin-bearing son and his heavenly father. 
the culmination of sin at its most dreadful. God forsaken by God. Douglas MacLeod, a Scottish theologian, puts it like this. He stands where none have stood before or since, enduring at one tiny point in space and time all that sin deserved. Never before has anything come between him and his father, but now the sin of the whole world has come between them. It is not that Abba is not there. He is there as the judge of the whole earth who could condone nothing and not even spare his own son. Tim Keller beautifully captures this transaction of the moment. He writes, this forsakenness, this loss, was between the father and the son who had loved each other from all of eternity. This love is infinitely long, absolutely perfect. And Jesus was losing it. Jesus was being cut out of the dance. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing our judgment on that day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. And the answer is for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us instead fell on Jesus. I don't know about you, but just as we go through this, even right now, even though those events happened over 2000 years ago, I can feel the weight of them today. I felt the weight as I've been preparing in these words, the scriptures are recounting something with such enormous eternal significance, such scandalous truth, such awe-inspiring love. It's almost unbearable. There is a lot here to digest, isn't there? Even from just one verse, let alone the whole passage. The far-reaching consequences of the cross can be quite overwhelming to try and take in and act upon. To try and give us something to take hold of as we go away and ponder the truth of Jesus being forsaken so that we don't have to be, I'm going to let another bit of scripture do the work for us. So in closing, let's turn to Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have this great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and doing all the more as you can to see the day approaching. 
These few verses describe for us a life as a result of what happened on the cross. First, it talks about intimacy with God. A new and living way has opened up for us. We can draw near to God. God is holy and righteous and just and pure. And there is no way that we can get into his presence with hearts full of greed, envy and pride. We have already noted how horrible our sin is and how it separates us from God. In the Old Testament, we read about how it was only the high priest who got to enter God's presence, who who went into the Holy of Holies. After ceremonial washing and sacrifices, he could go in just once a year with a rope tied around his ankle so he could be dragged out in case he died in God's presence. And there was this thick curtain protecting the inner sanctuary from the outside. We think at least 60 feet high and at least four inches thick. This acted as a physical barrier between God and his people. When Jesus died for us, this barrier was removed. The the physical ripping of the curtain represented the new spiritual reality that our sins are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And we can now enter the Holy of Holies. We have full access to God all the time. During this last year, I've been living with the reality of my family having full access to my life in a way that they've never had before. No longer has there been a separating of work and life woes, friends and fun, moments of despair and delight. It's all been on display all of the time. They see how I conduct meetings, how I hold hard conversations, how I weep with people, laugh with people. We've talked long into the night. We've trudged miles together and shared more takeaways than I care to count with no interruptions. (laughs) There has been no, I've got somewhere else to go or something else to do. Whilst this has at times led to the occasional suboptimal interaction, what it has also done is brought a new level of intimacy and trust. I've learned all over again about the importance of being available. I get this is an adequate representation of the spiritual significance of what Jesus has won for us on the cross. It's nothing like the intimacy that we really have with the Father, but nonetheless, I felt the provocation to embrace this unfettered relationship, which allows me to walk with God day and night. We have intimacy with God. Secondly, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, we can know God's forgiveness. We can know his forgiveness. We don't have to carry around the weight of sin with us. All our wrongdoings have literally been nailed to the cross in the form of Jesus. When we hear this, we can think, not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how dark my thoughts are, how selfish my heart is. That thing that happened way back, I still carry that around with me. I don't want anyone seeing that. Well, guess what? Jesus does see it. And that's exactly why he died on the cross, because he knew you needed to be free of it. He came for the weak, the wounded, the broken and the rejected. Who is the first person we read about to confess Jesus as Lord? The Roman soldier. He was directly complicit in killing Jesus. He had his blood on his hands. No doubt he was part of the mocking crowd. Yet he could now receive that same blood cleansing him, making him righteous before God. The same is true for us. Whatever our thought or word or deed, whether it was 20 minutes ago or 20 years ago, we can know the forgiveness 
of Christ upon the confession of Jesus. So firstly, we have intimacy. Secondly, forgiveness. And thirdly, we can know community. This doesn't just mean community or family, as we call it in terms of gathering in missional groups or for social events and so on. No, no. Hebrews talks about a different type of community, one where we spur one another on towards the image of Christ. What once was done in isolation, one man, once a year in the temple, is now done together as a family. We all have access together. Religion can start to sew up the veil if we're not careful. We start to decide who is in and who is out by our way of doing church or this way of doing church or different political views and so on. We start to divide the world by putting up these little curtains, but, but Jesus died that there would be no division. We gather not because we're chumming with each other or we share theological views even. We gather to embrace the peace of Christ, one for us on the cross. And that is what unites us as a community of believers. We're able to start gathering in person soon. And let's remember that before Jesus, each of us comes weak and with our faults, tripping over the piles of dust that have gathered under the carpet where we've swept things away and haven't talked about them. Our starting place is to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, to confess our sins, acknowledge we deserve God's judgment and receive his love and forgiveness. And then as we turn to one another in humility to show them the same grace and mercy and forgiveness that we don't deserve and yet we can give to others around us. As we seek to pursue the peace of God together, let's be available to listen, courageous to speak truth and generous to forgive. Jesus won a great victory on the cross for us. It enables us to be intimate with the Father. It enables us to know his forgiveness and it enables us to live in community, seeking Jesus together and spurring one another along. God bless you and I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Now listen, before we run on, can we just pause for a moment? Can we just give ourselves a second to respond in prayer to what we've heard? And, you know, the first group of people I just want to speak to for a moment would be would be to those people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians. And maybe you've been uh, tuning in for a while. Maybe it's your first ever morning this morning. And when Kirsty talked about what it means to have intimacy with God, to be brought into his family, to know his forgiveness and then to be welcomed into a community, not just locally, but right the way across the world, a community of believers who are part of God's family. Maybe you realise that right now you don't know what it means to have that relationship with God. And I just want to pray a prayer that maybe you could even repeat in your heart to put your trust in Jesus today and realise that that story of him carrying the cross was for you. See, he did it for every single one of us. So why don't you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the life that you lived but also the fact that you died a death on the cross in my place and for my sin. And I choose today to put my trust and to follow you. And I ask you, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? And would you bring me into your family? 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to encourage you to to press the response button that's going to appear on your screen now, primarily because we want to support you in what it means to start a journey in your relationship with God. But I want to say it's a wonderful, incredible thing to pray that prayer and to make that commitment in your heart to follow Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Now, the death of Jesus is foundational for every single one of us. And so I just want to speak a blessing out over us all now. And I want to thank you, Lord God, for the amazing people who are watching right now. I want to thank you, God, for the lives of people who have committed themselves to you. I want to pray, God, that we continue to be a blessing to those around us. But more than that, God, that this week, the truth of what it means that you have um, gone through what you went through in order to bring us back into relationship, bring us back into community, bring us back into the intimacy with which we were created for. And so, God, would you have your hand upon each one of us in these coming days? And I want to pray, Lord, that we would celebrate Easter and realise that what you did on that Easter Sunday as you rose again transformed everything. So I bless you just now in Jesus' name. Now, just on the subject of Easter, before I say farewell, I just want to encourage you to join us next Friday for our special Good Friday uh, reflection meeting. Opportunity to, to break bread together and communion over Zoom, as well as the fact that we have a special Easter Sunday online meeting as well. All the details of which are online. So do check out the King's Arms website as well. But for now, that's the end of our meeting today. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a good, good week and God bless you.